Well, grab your Bibles with me, stay standing, and we're going to stand for the honoring of God's Word here this morning. We're going to read in Luke, we're going to be in chapter 11, not bankruptcy, <laughs> chapter 11 of Luke, uh, verse 20, 29 through 36. It says this, as the crowds were increasing, he began saying, this generation is an evil generation. It demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. No one lights a lamp and puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that those who come in may see its light. Your eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when it is bad, your body is also full of darkness. Take care then that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light with no part in it, uh, of it in darkness, it will be entirely illuminated as when a lamp shines its light on you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open it to us this morning, that your word would be a light to us, Lord, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Illuminate our lives and illuminate the path here this morning to understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> so this morning, my, I'm titled, entitled my sermon, Light Up Your Life. And I'll get uh, understand why, why I went that direction here this morning here in just a minute. But it's interesting to note, have you ever tried to fight light? But you, you can't fight light with Darkness. Darkness, in, darkness isn't like a substance that you can like wield and throw at a candle or throw at a, at a light bulb. Like there's no, like I can't like, you know, pull, out, pull light out of my pocket and go whoosh and like try to attack the light with something. Darkness is simply the absence of light. You can't take darkness into a lit area and try to fill it with darkness. But what you can do is hinder or extinguish the light to get darkness. Covering a light with something, moving some something, you know, moving the light somewhere else, or putting it out. You like the sign, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Don't let Satan it out, I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. <laughs> you haven't heard the, the VBS version? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I should have done that, that song this morning. Darn it. I'll try to find it for after service. But faith is associated with light. Evil is associated with darkness. Light. The, most, the number one thing we see in Scripture that is associated with light is Jesus. John 1, 1, uh, 1 through 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Just a moment. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has, not, that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This word that it talks about, the word. Let's read it again. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was, in, was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, not one thing was created that has been created. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome Jesus. This concept of word. The intention behind this is this full expression of God through what was written and what was spoken, through the manifestation of God, the full expression of God and all his fullness thrown into this one little word called word that defines and describes Jesus. Because later on in verse 14 it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's talking about Jesus. The light shines. Jesus shines in the darkness and is darkness, does, is light overcome by darkness? Can you fight light with darkness? No, you cannot fight it. The light shines in the darkness, and it has not been overcome by the darkness. Why? Because darkness cannot extinguish God. So the point here this morning is to light up your life by focusing your I, we'll get to that in a second, your eye upon Christ and walking empowered by the Holy Spirit. You ever get to these points in, in your life where, you know, you know your, your give a crap's busted? My give a crap's busted. Different word, not going to say it this morning. <clears throat> but these different times in your life where, where maybe like, you know, the, the pressure come, you know, is off, right? It's coming to an end. You gave it your last two weeks' notice. You gave your, your two weeks' notice, or you gave your, you know, that you're quitting your job or moving on to another job, or you're retiring. You're like, I can leave this whole thing behind. Like, I'm not afraid anymore. The pressure's off. Looking forward to freedom from TSA. <laughs> you <cannot> <laughs> but you quit. You're like, yeah, I'm out. All these things, you feel free to do and say things that maybe you held back in the past because you have no fear of what, what are they going to do? Fire me? I'm, I'm quitting. It's like the pressure's off. And you see, there's a little bit more of this like freedom to kind of say and do certain things that you maybe hadn't in the past. This is part, uh, this, whole, this whole passage of scripture is a, is a big escalation. Of Jesus. If you look over the overarching you know, substance of Scripture, you're seeing this escalation of Jesus' long journey to the cross. This is his last few months' notice. And so he's journeying to Jerusalem, and his final trajectory is the cross, the tomb, and the garden. The crucifixion, the burial, and his resurrection and ascension. Jesus says, give a crap, is busted. And he's saying things and speaking things and fully engaging in the full ministry 
of exposing himself that he is the Messiah, that all these religious rulers are full of garbage, and that he has the words to everlasting life. And so he is fighting hard. He is preaching boldly. This whole section is is an escalation from verse 14 all the way through the very end of the chapter. Things are getting real. Not that he was holding back before, but more so even now, like it's, you can just tell like his, his demeanor is shifting. He's becoming more bold and offensive to the religious leaders. The gloves are off. Jesus is holding nothing back. And so this, this first part of this, of this chapter, we're going to we're we're continue and, and finish this, this chapter next week. Uh, when he's invited over to a Pharisee's house. <laughs> we'll see how that goes <laughs> with this new attitude of Jesus. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, let's just say that Jesus has some very colorful words. Um, <clears throat> but this is the setup, this first passage from, from 29 to 32. This is the setup. And Jesus is getting to his great mic drop moment in 33 through 36. And so let's, let's kind of pull back in. So he says this generation demands a sign. Well, where did, it, where did they do that? Look all the way back into verse uh, 16. It says, and others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Now, Matthew puts both these things together. That's where we can really see this context coming together. Basically, you know, they're asking for a sign. They're, they're, tell, they're, they're accusing him of being, you know, casting out demons by Beelzebul and demanding a sign. You know, if you really are, are, are you know, doing signs and wonders in God's name, well, give us a sign. It's like, dude, he was mute and demon-possessed, and now he's talking and free. This guy was blind. That girl was dead. The sick are healed, the dead are raised. Do you, are you missing the point here? Come on. A sign. You've seen signs and wonders all over, all around. But why are they demanding another sign and another sign and another sign? Because they want to basically skirt what Jesus is saying and not have to respond to Jesus' mission and his message with trust and actually end up following him. Continuation of, with this debate is so that they don't have to respect him as God's anointed. Because they like their life more than they like his trajectory. More than they like his teachings. They'd rather sit comfortably in their God-in-a-box method than, be, than to encounter the freedom of Christ and the grace of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit. They don't like what Jesus is, is teaching. They like what he's doing. They're like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. But they hate what he's teaching. Because they like being in power. They like being the ones respected. They like being the ones that are like articulating these long prayers and, oh, look at me and listen to me. But they're unwilling to sacrifice themselves and sacrifice their perspectives in order to repent, change their thinking, and align and merge and mesh and align themselves with Christ, with Jesus. Because he's not the kind of Christ that they were expecting. Which we'll go to next week. They wanted to discredit the prophet so as to avoid any personal responsibility for his ministry mandate. 
What was Jesus' ministry mandate? Believe in me. Trust me that God sent me and place your full trust and allegiance in me. Well, and what and what does he do? How does he how does he does, you know, what does he say that this is the sign? What is the sign? He says he's, this is going to be the sign for you. Jonah. Well, let's look at that sign. Jonah. Nineveh. So Nineveh was a Gentile city that would eventually, about 100 years later, take over, destroy, and annihilate the northern kingdom of Israel and take them off into slavery and, you know, and, and kill off thousands upon thousands, like hundreds of thousands of people. Um, when they, when they invaded in the 8th century B.C. And this is the message, a sign. And what happened? They were transformed. Jonah came and he preached a message. And, gave, and he, he himself was a sign. It's interesting to note. If you look at this, what does it say? For just as Jonah became a sign, this is verse 30, to the people of Nineveh, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. What was, what was the sign of Jonah? Well, he articulates this in, in Matthew. He says, whereas you know, Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and then was, and then was vomited out. He resurrected from the, from the fish and went and obeyed God. That's not, the, the whole concept is not Jonah. You know, it's not, Jesus is in rebellion and he's being killed and then vomited back up in order to follow God. His, his, the, the thing is that three days in the fish and resurrection... What does that sound like? That Jesus would be in the belly of death for three days and be resurrected. And when he is resurrected, entire cities will come to faith in Jesus. Will repent and believe the gospel. Jonah preached a message of five Hebrew words. There's only five words that that Jonah preached. But it's interesting to note that he became a sign to the people of Nineveh. He preached repentance, but a lot of theologians are actually coming to the, the, the belief that Jonah, uh, that, uh, that Nineveh actually knew what had happened to Jonah before he ever even got there. That maybe the, the men on the ship knew what happened, and they were, fr- they were Ninevites. And so they returned and, pre- and gave the message. So Nineveh knew about what happened to Jonah before he ever got there. And that's why his message was received. They saw the miracle, and, or they heard about the miracle, and then they saw him with their own eyes and preaching that the God that delivered me is saying to you, change your mind about your reality. Repent. Turn from your wicked ways and believe. Turn and believe. And be transformed. And what happened? The entire city of Nineveh will be restored. So Jonah is that sign. Is Jesus is that sign to their generation. Why? What does he say? Will be a sign to this generation. Because remember, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus hasn't happened yet. So he's saying, I will be this fulfillment of the sign of Jonah in this generation. Why? Because this generation is evil. That will be the sign. And here's the coolest part. He didn't say that all y'all are screwed. He said, this will be your sign. Because think about 
what God's heart was for all those people, all these Pharisees. Like you said, like some said this and others. This, so this, is the, this is the Pharisees and the lawyers and the scribes, the experts in the law that would later come to faith in Jesus because they saw the sign of Jonah and remembered when he said these things and said, oh, I get it. I believe now. I believe. Could have been part of that 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost that came to faith in Jesus. Some of these scribes and Pharisees that were up in this Galilee area on the road, remembering Jesus' words and repenting later on. What else? The Queen of Sheba, or the Queen of the South. It's talking about the Queen of Sheba. And there's a, a passage in, in, the, in Chronicles that talks about when the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, came to, jo- came to Solomon to ask for wisdom, or to seek his wisdom, basically to test him, to test Solomon. And she was blown away. And she brought him all sorts of riches and wealth and all sorts of things because she recognized the wisdom of God that was on him, and she believed. She believed in Yahweh. She came to faith in Yahweh. But it's interesting to note that both Nineveh, look at that, Nineveh and Sheba were both Gentiles. Jesus is speaking of Gentiles in, the, in these passages. Because, remember, why is, why, is he, why is Luke highlighting this specifically? Because Luke is the gospel to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. That's why the, you know, kind of the overarching title of this entire Luke series is Jesus is for everyone. Luke himself is a Gentile, writing a book of the Bible. From my understanding, he's the only Gentile that writes a book of the Bible. And he's writing about this. He's writing that Jesus has love. God and Yahweh, God God has love and compassion for everyone on earth. For God so loved the world, all of his creation, that he sent Jesus Christ. That he sent his only begotten son. So that whoever would believe in him, would put their faith in him, would not perish, but have eternal life. Would inherit eternal life. His point here is that even that even Nineveh and a Gentile queen would be able to see what see what people who say that they know the Lord and His Word should see right in front of the you know should see right in front of their eyes. What he's saying is like Gentiles are seeing this, and you Jewish people are not. Even though you should be, of all people on this earth, you have the Torah, you've got the Law and the Prophets, and you are missing Him. Jesus is saying, open your eyes, see, observe. It's right in front of you. Jesus is both, is is greater Jonah and has a greater message and sign and wisdom than Jonah and the Queen of Sheba. And yet they were missing him. And like we said, this this paragraph is, is kind of a setup to his real point. This is kind of laying the foundation, saying, open your eyes, I'm getting ready for it, I'm coming to it. You know, listen up, you know, you know, perk up your ears, you know, get, get, on, the front, get on, the, on the front of your seat, you know, come to the edge of your seat. It's coming. Come on. Listen, you, you're with me, right? As, as uh, you know, preacher Matt Chandler would say, you, you tracking with me? You, you tracking? Here's where we get to his main point in this passage before he gets invited over to the Pharisee's house. Eyes. Oh, or just, actually, here's the, the, the keynote. I. That word in the scripture is Singular. 
But it's interesting to see that, that when it talk, when the scripture talks about in, in, the, in this Greek word, um, you know, ophthalm, ophthalmology, it's basically the word that we get ophthalmologist from, which is, you know, you know, is your eye doctor, right? Um, but this word in the Greek has this connotation of it's the faculty of knowing, of understanding. As we would maybe, you know, the new, new agey way of saying it today would be your mind's eye. This is your perception, how you view reality, how you view the world. And this, this word has, a, has kind of a, a sister word to it in scripture, and it's called namas. Namas is the word that is translated for law. And so usually when it has the predicate ha namas, it means the law usually referring to the Mosaic law. But elsewhere in scripture, like Hebrews chapter 9, chapter 10, and 11, they all have this, this connotation of law as small l, you know, my law, my way. So what that word means is way of, of being, the way of seeing. It is your perception or opinion. Uh, it is your worldview of God and reality itself. It's not just how you interpret and receive, but also how you live into reality. Because we interpret things one way in our, into our life because we have a whole, you know, my dad calls it shape. You know, spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experiences. We all come from different experiential backgrounds. And so even all of us, and that's why like, I can be preaching a sermon and every single person in this room is hearing it a different way. I guarantee you. you might be hearing the same words, but because you're compounding it on all of your life experiences, you're hearing it specifically the way that God wants you to hear it this morning through his empowering through his Holy Spirit. And so how we see, perceive the world and receive it and how we live into the world and respond to it. That is what this word I means. And what does he say? The I is the what? The lamp. The lamp of the Bible, I'm sorry, of, of a person, of the body. And so, you know, I've used this, this illustration of an oil lamp, right? Um, or, or maybe like a flashlight, you know, on our cell phones, we've got our flashlights. we got spotlights, we got the, you know, this, you know headlamps, right? Even you got the, the different colored headlamps for hunters and, and people who, you know, got the, the regular white light and then you've got a green light and then you've got a red light. And red light's supposed to be where, you know, you walk through the woods and, you know, wildlife don't see you because they can't perceive the red light, right? They can't, they can't see your light. They're illuminating your path. Which way to go in life? The, so the lamp, this, this concept of lamp is this, this focus. Because with the flashlight, wherever you shine the light, that is where its focus is. It's illuminating that portion of your life, right? This focus, this trajectory. You know, like, uh, you know, when you're flying over, over a, a city, you can see the, the spider web of, of streets. Because why? They're illuminated by the street lights. So they're illuminating that path, that trajectory. Lamps give vision. So your mind's eye gives you vision. Not just to see, but in a dark world, it illuminates your vision, your path, your trajectory in front of you. So look at this body. The eye is the lamp of the body. This word in the Greek is soma, which means 
your whole being, your whole person, not just your, your physical body, but this is everything you are, your body, your soul, your spirit, encompassing your mind and your emotions. And so the body is you as a person, your totality of you. you know, all of Tess, all of you, all of Richard, the whole, the totality of you as a person wrapped up in the body. And when it is healthy, this is an interesting word. I'm still kind of chewing on it a little bit, but I'll share kind of what, a little bit of, of, of what I got this morning. The word actually kind of means simple or singular, clear, focused. I'm still trying to wrap my mind about what this means together. It means folded together, like organized, like OCD person organizing singular, you know, uh, simple focused or clear focused. So this is a non-convoluted or polluted, distracted or covered or dimmed life. You're free. You're open. You're, your path is in front of you and you're focused. You're not looking over here. You're not ADD in it. You're, you're like, yep, that's where I'm going. And I'm on the path, and I'm going. I'm not getting distracted by, ooh, shiny. <laughs> yeah, ooh, squirrel. It's like you are singular focused. That's why one of the easiest things that the enemy can do with the church to, side, you know, to, to sidetrack it and to derail it is to distract it, to, is to get it going and wandering off in all sorts of different random directions, doing all sorts of random things, and not having a singular focus. That's how the enemy gets you. The enemy gets you by saying, ooh, shiny, maybe this will help me. Think about it, the very first temptation. Oh, you eat this fruit. Oh, we shouldn't. Did God really say, there's another option that you haven't thought of here. Did God really say that that was your, your own? How about you go over here? How do you, how do, you do this? It's good. It's a good thing. And that's how we get tripped up, is that we get distracted by good. And we miss great. That's my rule number, number 11. Stay focused. Don't get distracted by good and miss great. That's why our number one value as a church is simplicity. Keep it simple, silly. Keep it simple. The Christian life is supposed to be Simple, clear, focused, folded together, not polluted or convoluted or distracted or covered or dimmed, as Jesus says. Because what does it look like to be bad? This word means evil, wicked, malicious, lazy, apathetic. This, this word in Hebrew uh, quoted all the time throughout Proverbs. That, that, you know, Solomon loves this word. Worthless. Someone who lives a convoluted, distracted life, that life is a worthless life. It accomplishes nothing. It's the opposite of wisdom. It's foolishness, which leads to worthlessness. What we accomplish through our lives isn't what God's concerned about, but is it, are you willing to follow him 
to live a life that means something. That is what? Healthy. That is focused. Single focused. Simple. So we don't, get, don't wander off and get distracted and pulled into this foolish, you know, this life of foolishness and stupidity that ruins our life. Been there. And God, here's the thing. God doesn't give up on you. You are not too far gone. You're never too far gone. God can take you anywhere you're at right now and pull you and, and remind you and show you his beauty. Remind you of the trajectory that he wants for you. Remind you of the goodness and the glory that he has for your life. Remind you by what? By showing himself to you. By shining his light and you looking up and seeing his light and saying, I'm in. I'm going there. I don't care where I'm at. I'm going there and getting there. Let's look at that word light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So what is our light? Jesus. Simple. There's our word. Simple. Our light is Jesus. What does this light mean? What does Jesus being the light mean? He is our hope. He is new life. A new trajectory. A new vision for our lives. Wrapped up in the the totality of this concept of holiness, that God is holy and we are being attracted to his holiness, being overwhelmed and overcome with his goodness, his tov, and being drawn into that and living, that, living out that tov, that goodness in our lives. And when we live a life of goodness, we engage in God's shalom, in his flourishing Life as God designed and intended for humanity and his relationship with humanity. God's desire is for you and me to perceive him and this world the way that he sees himself and this world. And how does God see himself in this world? Rightly. And to walk according to this rightliness is to walk in rightness, which the Bible has a word called Righteous is simply doing and, and thinking, thinking and doing and living right. God's way, God's rightness. What God calls right, that's what we do. That's how we live. That's where we focus. That is our trajectory. That is our vision. That is our light. God's righteousness is our light. Jesus is saying, Focus on me. Focus your life on me. Let me light up your path. So you are drawn into me. As he says, thy word. What's the word? Jesus, you are a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119 and 105. And this is what N.T. Wright has to say about this. If you embrace the light, it must illuminate every part. There are not any parts of our lives that are off limits to God. And we have to live our lives that way. And say, God, 
whether I want, it, want, it, want you to or not, you're illuminating every part of my life. There may be just parts that I'm just not looking at yet or willing to look at. So that's why we pray with the Lord and say, God, that's what, you know, the same prayer as, as David, you know, search me and you, and, 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 you, and, you, and you know me, you try me. You, you see every part. You know every part. I can't hide anything from you. If I go to, if I re, you go to the heavens and put my, hope, my home in, in the heights, you are there. If I make my, my home in the depths, you are there. Where can I run from you? I can't. What can I hide from you? Nothing. So ask him to take you on a tour of your life, to bring his rightness to every part, every portion of your mind, every part of your heart, your emotions, every part of your life. Don't ignore or distort the light. How do we do this? How do we live our lives into this? So let's com- we're going to compare and contrast a dim and distracted living versus a lit and focused living. What does it mean to live lit, yo? That's what the cool kids are saying nowadays. That's so lit, full of light. I'm trying too hard. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Living a dim and distracted life is making excuses for not doing and living the way or the life that Jesus is showing us, has shown us through his word, has, and we've seen modeled in the faith previously in our lives. We're making excuses like the Pharisees, trying to discount Jesus and demanding him to show up in certain ways and signs and wonders, God, give me a sign so I can obey you. What? Obey God. Right. Don't look for a sign. Because he would call that generation what? Evil generation. Well, I don't want to be any part of that. No thanks. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and uh, follow, follow right away. Thanks, Jesus. No, stop making excuses for not showing up in your own life. For not showing up in your own faith. This way, you're living the way. What is the way? Jesus said, I am the way. Well, what is that way? Living a unhurried, non-anxious way of life devoted to the way of truth and a life full of loving one another. Devoting ourselves. I'm I'm going to probably be continuing to repeat this over and over again throughout this entire series. This is life. This is the Christian life. This is the church life. Devoting ourselves to apostles, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. If you want to please, bless, and glorify God, you must be open to his truth and guidance and the way in which he is said to live in your own personal life and us as a church. Put your faith in your, and your life in me, is what Jesus is saying, and the one who sent me. Jesus is saying that simply, believe in me and the one who sent me, and believe the one who sent me actually sent me. What are we saying to these, these Pharisees? Because when we are more concerned with other physical, tangible, and worldly things, we lose sight of Jesus. It is the spiritual ooh shiny. It is a spiritual squirrel. 
we lose sight of Jesus and the glory and, and the joy of eternity. We forget who we are and we forget whose we are and where we're going. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Walk with God. Second Chronicles 17 says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because, why? He walked in the former ways of his ancestor David. He did not seek the Baals, didn't look, at, look to the world, he didn't look to the ways of, of others, he didn't look to the culture in order to figure out how he should live his life. He was okay with being weird. He was okay with, with other people hating him because he was devoted to walk in the former ways of his ancestor David, who was faithful to God, even though he made some mistakes, some very dire and wow mistakes. That's another sermon. He didn't seek the world of the Baals, the gods of this world, but sought the God of his father and walked by his commands. Not according to the practices of Israel who had wandered away. So the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. Then all Judah brought him tribute and he had riches and honor in abundance. He took great pride in the Lord's ways and he again removed the high places and the Asherah poles from Judah. He removed that which was evil from God's people and established the worship of God, the worship of Yahweh again. So no matter what the world is doing, and not so much no matter what the world is doing, but no matter what other people who pose Christian are doing, if it is evil. Because there's a lot of new age stuff that's creeping into the church these days. There's a lot of distortion and legalism. There's a lot of licentiousness and legalism that have, are pervading and, and polluting and distorting the church and distorting the gospel. What we do is we, we have to tread that fine line between legalism and licentiousness. That we are freed from sin. We are freed from the law of sin and death. That we are freed from the law and sin. The gospel is that we are freed from both and walking in the newness of life. Walking by his spirit. It says Galatians 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not able to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, dis discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. So here's the question. How do you walk by the Spirit? You, how, do I, how do I light up my life? How do you light up your life? Simple. Ready for this? Devote your life to Christ. And how do you do that? You devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. Ergo, the preaching and teaching of the word of God, whether through this donkey or some, some other donkey. One teacher, or, you know, listen to, peop- to men and women who faithfully preach the word of God. Sit under them. Devote yourself to listen and to submit under these teachings. Because it's not the teaching that's the, it's the thing, it's the word of God. We're submitting ourselves under the word of God and learning about it, devoting ourselves to, to engaging with it. But here's the second one. Devote your life to fellowship, to the one another. He said the whole law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. What was Jesus' command? John 13, 14, 15, 17, 20, 21. Love one another. Devote yourself to the fellowship and breaking of bread, these opportunities to one another, one another. And devote, devote yourself to prayer, relating to God, hearing the heart of God, hearing from God, and God hearing from you. Your God wants to hear from you. Like your mother. Have you called your mother recently? <laughs> <laughs> but have you called her? Okay. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> God wants to hear from you. God wants to know you. God knows you, but he wants to know you. He wants to have that relationship, that intimacy with you. He wants to have that connection with you so that he can know you and you can know him. It's, why, it's how we relate. Relating to one another and relating to God. And knowing how to do that by sitting under the preaching and teaching of his word. That is the simplicity of the Christian life. We can even simplify it more. Believe in Jesus and that the Father sent him in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and love one another. Simple. Real simple. And that is the whole concept of this, this morning, is light up your life. Make that eye of your life good, healthy, simple, singular-focused, clear. Don't get spiritual cataracts. <laughs> See God clearly. See life clearly. The eye of is the lamp of the body. The la- the, your eye, your perception, is the, is the way and, and, and trajectory that you will live your life. Make sure it's healthy. Make sure it's healthy. Walk by the Spirit. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching, to 
the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And your life will be full of light, illuminating every part as you walk by the Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for your Spirit. We thank you that you are our light. All we have to do is trust you. All we have to do is walk by your Spirit and devote our lives to you, God, to say, you have our allegiance. You have my allegiance, God. You have my full trust. No matter what you say, no matter where you lead, I will go. I will do. I will follow. Lord, be with us, God, to devote our lives. Stir within us and shine your light in us, God. Shine your light through us so that a dying and desperate world would know you, Lord Jesus. Would see your light would see our lives being lit up by your presence and see all these things and glorify our Father in heaven and come to faith themselves. Lord, I pray that we would have to be filling up this baptismal every month because you are stirring in people salvation, filling your Holy Spirit, coming to faith and following you, Jesus, and walking in your way, your truth, and your life. Lord, fill us that we would be known as people who are full of the Holy Spirit. We want to see you working and moving among us, God. Bless us, Lord, as we bless you and glorify your name, as we glorify Jesus in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.